The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 21, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? Well, Halloween is over. I have my life back. And you know what? I'm good. I mean, November 1st, I was completely destroyed. But, uh, <laughs> I'm probably the same way I think a department store Santa would feel on December 25th. Uh, brokenhearted and soaked in gin. Sure, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, now that I'm rested up, I've had time to do all the things I want to do. Like baking. Like baking, who knew? It's this whole new world for me. Those pictures you sent were just cruel, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I couldn't resist. And you could have eaten the bread. It was dairy-free. Sorry, you probably don't want to know So that. was implies that you did not bring me any. <laughs> it never even made it out of the kitchen. <laughs> it was like savages. The, the whole thing was gone within like <laughs> minutes. It was pretty bad. And half a stick of butter, which I'm pretty sure belies the whole health benefits oh, of oh. making your own bread. How French. It, it, was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I'm happy for you. I'm uh, ha- this is my happy for you face. Yeah, you know what? I'll make some more eventually. It's all good. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> You know, it surprised me, actually, when you told me you like to cook. How come? Well, my grandmother always used to say that all the great chefs are men, but I think all those chefs were killed in the war. Because <laughs> the great war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because none of the men that I know uh, are exactly what you'd call handy in the kitchen. I shouldn't say none, but most of them. Well, you know what does it for me? Um, it's the I started reading a magazine uh, that isn't just about recipes. It's about the science behind the recipes. Okay. So why you do certain things to certain foods in certain ways that get you these results. And that's what I love. It's the science of this temperature creates this with this chemical with this. Really? Yeah. No. I, I find that surpassingly it, boring. <laughs> it's so cool. They, they will like try 15 different ways to make a roast chicken and then they'll tell you which one was the best and why. And then I try and recreate it. Sometimes it works, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. Well, kudos. I mean, that sounds kind of cool. I, uh, I just, I don't know. I like basic. I mean, I bought a little tabletop grill. I'll just throw two chicken breasts in yeah. there, steam a bunch of broccoli, yeah. and that's food. No, but uh, that's good, too. Like, I do that, too. But sometimes you just want to try a little experiment. I mean, you 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 do the, you follow the recipe. It's oh, a bit like kitchen. a treasure okay, hunt. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, gross. Um, <laughs> you try a recipe. It's like a treasure hunt. You try and get it right. At the end of it, even if it doesn't work, you still have something to eat. Well, so, no, fair, fair it's enough. a win-win, right? What about you? What's been going on? Uh, I'm good. Uh, nothing too exciting. My radio show launched on Wednesday, so that Yay! was cool. That's good. Y- you can tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Pacific on 92.5 Stoke FM or via the web at stokefm.com. Subtle. I am 
not good at subtle. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, <laughs> you are about as tactful as a bunch of boulders rolling down a hill towards the north. <laughs> while on fire. Okay. And the kids are handicapped and unable to run. <laughs> that is about how subtle you are. Oh, oh I concede the point. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, moving on to today's episode, which was inspired by some stories we received for the Halloween episode, right? Yes. So we received a series of emails from Casey describing her paranormal experiences in and around Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And we decided to hold them back and uh, see whether or not there was enough material for an entire episode. And and there was. And then to get in the spirit, you and I ended up reading (laughs) several days worth of celebrity gossip. Well, you sent me a website that I can't stop reading. (laughs) It's like some sort of sickness. I'm like, just one more page. page." It's terrible. As creepy as the gossip is, the uh, the stories we ended up finding for LA were really, really creepy. There were encounters with shadow people and what may be interdimensional beings, spirits hounding the guilty until they turn themselves in. Awesome. And what is an absolutely bizarre series of hauntings which seem to pervade sites belonging to the U.S. Job Corps. Coming up after the break, The Haunting of Los Angeles Part 1. We'll be right back. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we're starting what will probably be, um, honestly, a series of episodes about strange experience in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, well, when we say series, we mean part two will be coming at some point, not, not necessarily right. yeah, yeah, next yeah, episode. Yeah. yeah, sounds good. Right, and um, the other question I had for you, do you think we'll ever do one on like New York City? Because what it lacks in <laughs> space, it makes up for in some pretty serious history, and I'm sure there's some good stories out of there. You know that's an interesting question. I'd never thought about doing Ghosts of New York, but I don't see why not. I mean, oh, it's just, I mean, those are the two great cities in, in the States, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. For yeah. two very different reasons. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the people in America would argue that, but <laughs> but yeah, no, they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's. I just thought, it, I mean, not that I'm not excited about this one, but I just think it would be pretty cool to maybe do something like that. Absolutely, yeah. No, I should look into that. I know my friends, uh, this wedding I'm going to here, it's pretty soon, is full of people from New York. Perfect. So I should poke around and see Absolutely. if uh, anyone's got any stories. Absolutely. Well, good thinking. As for today's episode, uh, it's going to be a series for a couple reasons, the first of which being that I'm just absolutely obsessed with Los Angeles. Uh, but why is that? I'm not really sure. Hmm. I mean, there are a bunch of little things I could point to, but no one single reason that makes any sense. I mean, a while back I had a conversation with a writer who lived and worked in LA. She had a theory. She thinks it's some combination of ley line energy. That draws people in there. That makes sense to me. I have heard a lot about ley lines. I could absolutely see that. Yeah. And I mean, also, LA has two of the greatest movie theaters in existence, the TCL Chinese and the Arclight. Uh, when I was in LA for AFI Fest last year, the Arclight was one of maybe four theaters in North America equipped to show Billy Lynn's long halftime walk in its intended frame rate. Weirdly specific. This impressed me. <laughs> 
Also, the morning screening I went to, because I went to an 11 a.m. screening of a movie. Of course you did. Uh, was introduced by the director, Ang Lee, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So the, the movie's garbage. But, <laughs> but, but the experience of the screening is an example of why I love Arclight so much. <laughs> Anyways, I got off track there. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to put it. But, I mean, you really, really like movies. I really do. Yeah. Uh, but but this podcast isn't at the movies with Bren, so we shouldn't move on. <laughs> All right. So the other reason it'll be a series, apart from Brendan's obvious crush on L.A., um, is that we turned up so many different types of stories while researching this episode. There's just no way we could fit them all in any cohesive fashion into, like, what, an hour? We, we really had to narrow it down. Well, and you got pretty obsessed because one morning I woke up to newspaper clippings that you sent at 2 o'clock in the morning in my oh, inbox. Yeah, thereabouts. That was crazy. Yeah, that would have been Saturday morning. I spent my Friday night cruising through online newspaper archives till oh. my eyes hurt. That would hurt. It turns out till prior to 1920, newspapers reported on a lot more paranormal things. But like not after 1920? Not that I found. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of uh, newspapers, so I could have missed something. Right. But it seemed like after 1920, everyone had other things on their mind or journalistic standards changed. Speaking of the old school uh, newspaper awesomeness, though, do you mean like the haunted motorcycle thief? Yeah. I mean, that would be a good place to start. That story comes from the L.A. Herald, and the headline is, Avenging Ghost Says Lad Made Him Confess. And that is a terrible headline. Well, yeah, because it's not even that. It's Avenging Ghost Says Lad, comma, Made Him Confess. <laughs> the, that's not a sentence. No. Those are not words. No. I am bad at writing headlines. I've been told this by a real journalist. Really? That I am bad at writing headlines. Oh, no. Oh, I suck at them. I'm terrible. Oh. I, I just cannot, I, I cannot be concise like that. <laughs> uh, but even I could improve on Avenging Ghost Says Lad, comma, Made Him Confess. <laughs> Well, the story goes that sometime in Los Angeles in 1915, Oren Knickerbocker, which is a great name, by the way, (laughs) stole a motorcycle from Edward Buckles, 19. According to the article, he, quote, attached a rail riding wheel, unquote, to the bike and headed east. Now, I had to look up rail riding wheel to see if that was a thing, and apparently it is. Wow. Which seems really, really (laughs) unwise. Train tracks are meant for trains. Yeah. And sometimes those little, you know, two-man seesaw cart things you see in old movies and cartoons. Hand carts. Is that what they're called? Yes. Sure, hand carts. <laughs> the point is, train tracks are not for motorbikes. Well, no one told Oren that, <laughs> so, <laughs> because uh, the article says he made it all the way to El Paso, Texas, before ditching the bike. He eventually made his way back to Los Angeles, where he was arrested for a new string of thefts. But his arrest apparently didn't come as a surprise. See, Edward Buckles died a few days after the bike went missing, and when Knickerbocker's jailers told him that, he told them about some kind of shadow entity that had been dogging him for months. According to the Herald, Knickerbocker said, I never had any luck since that boy died. That thing has been hanging around me every time I did a job and I never knew what it was. Now I know, and that's why you caught me. It kept saying you would find me. Yikes. Mm. At that point, I'd be looking for a new line of work. I'd have stayed my ass in El Paso and become a caballero. (laughs) Have you ever even ridden a horse? What year is this? Of course not. (laughs) We both know I'd be a shit cowboy. I just like saying caballero. <laughs> That's a fascinating story, though. I, I wonder if it really was the spirit of that kid chasing him or if he just picked up a hanger-on that liked to mess with him. Well, I mean, I kind of hope it was just a hanger-on. seems kind of a pathetic thing to cling to this world for the sake of a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. well, that's what I was thinking, right? I mean, it's kind of bad out of hell, which is metal, but it's also just sad. <laughs> the wonderment of countless worlds awaits for me, but how will I ride there if not on my steel horse? <laughs> The whole thing sounds so unlikely that I was kind of tempted to write it off. Uh, But then we found other articles describing similar cases. Uh, The first one was from May 8th, 1909, 
And the headline was Faces of Dead Children Force Man to Surrender. And that, sir, is a headline. That is. Either way, ghosts or not, <laughs> yep. anything to do with the dead faces of children. But basically, a horse and carriage driver accidentally ran over and killed an 11-year-old kid in April that year, and then a three-year-old girl in May. Uh, but he'd been in hiding from the police for a couple of days before he turned himself in, saying he could no longer ignore the voices of the dead children, telling him to turn himself in. Yikes. Uh, the other one was from Frankfort, Kentucky, reported on August 7th, 1913. An old man who said his name was George walked into a prison and claimed he had escaped 21 years before. George said he'd been haunted by the ghost of his brother-in-law, who he'd murdered 32 years prior for mistreating George's sister. Which kind of sounds, honestly, like mental illness. Yeah. It seems weird that his brother-in-law would suddenly care after 12 years on the lam. <laughs> Either way, the article said George would be assessed to see if he needed jail or an asylum. So I hope he got whichever was more appropriate. Yeah, me too. Now, since young uh, Orville Redenbacher. Orrin Knickerbocker. Yeah, him. <laughs> since he swiped that bike and hopped the rails to downtown LA, that's where we're going to start. Uh, and downtown LA is essentially the central business district of Los Angeles, bordered by a lot of different neighborhoods. Uh, we won't get into it here, but if you ever want to read up on a spectacular piece of civic corruption, look up Vernon, California. Okay. It's a tiny industrial suburb to the south with a population of, I kid you not, 113 people, <laughs> and it has a legendary history of corruption. Wow. We're talking multi-million dollar golden parachutes for civic officials. Seriously? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's crazy. The whole second season of True Detective is essentially based on the city of Vernon. Well, now this is kind of bring back to at the movies with Brent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So moving on. Up until maybe the end of the Second World War, downtown LA was the place to be. A bunch of major banks at the time held corporate headquarters on South Spring Street. And for a while, that whole area was called the Wall Street of the West. Hmm. There were huge department stores, theaters, and upmarket hotels like the Biltmore, which, which we'll get to. It's kind of a dump now, isn't it? The Biltmore? Uh, the Biltmore is, well, if you believe the TripAdvisor reviews, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and downtown LA, after the war, the, the coming of the freeway led to suburbanization. And so right. people started moving further into the countryside right. and out of downtown LA. By the 80s, most of the banks and department stores were gone, either closed entirely or moved out to the, the burbs. And downtown LA was most famous for Skid Row, which is still a sight to see. The rest of downtown LA that's not Skid Row has improved since its RoboCop days. Right. And right. it's now considered a pretty desirable place to live uh, oh. with, you know, prices to reflect that. <laughs> uh, but some of the darkness that infested the bad old days is still hanging around. Right. Uh, the Biltmore Hotel, which we talked about earlier, yeah. uh, sits on South Grand Street across from Pershing Square. And it was opened in 1923 and still has what you might call long-term guests. Right. Earlier this year, two women, we'll call Sandy and Lucy, were visiting Los Angeles from San Bernardino and complained essentially of disorientation in the hotel lobby. According to them, they met in the lobby to begin exploring, but somehow lost track of one another. By the time Sandy realized Lucy was no longer with her, it took 30 minutes of retracing her steps to find her again, and it turned out that Lucy had had exactly the same experience. Then, while comparing notes in the hotel bar, they would see people drinking at nearby tables only to look again a moment later to find they disappeared. Now, admittedly, this was after voters passed Prop 64 legalizing marijuana, <laughs> but, you know, Sandy and Lucy insist they were completely sober and, and they were certain the hotel was haunted. Right. And they're not the only ones. Uh, in April of last year, we'll, a woman will call Kaylee, stayed at the Biltmore, and was completely unaware of its haunted history. Hmm. Then she was woken up at 2 a.m. by what she thought was an earthquake. Which wouldn't be that out of place in L.A. True, but an earthquake shakes everything. Once Kaylee was fully awake, she realized it was just the bed shaking. Finally, the shaking stopped and she fell back asleep, only to wake up again a few minutes later, according to the clock on her bedside table. She had woken up because a woman was standing next to her bed. 
gesturing her to come with her. So she pulled herself upright in bed and said out loud, you've got to be kidding me. She cursed herself for what she assumed was leaving the door unlocked. Right. But she looked towards the door and it was still bolted. And then when she looked back towards the intruder, the woman was gone. Whoa. So Kaylee had never seen anything like this and she it shook her pretty bad. She considers herself a pretty rational person and she can't reconcile her beliefs with what she saw. Well, that kind of thing is just such a shock for, well, anybody really. But if you're close off to the paranormal, you don't even have a frame of reference for this. No, that's it. And as I learned a few days ago, even someone who spends a lot of time with this stuff can still find themselves affected when it proves itself to be a real and true thing. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in the uh, maybe the email segment. But uh, for someone who doesn't believe it all, it can be incredibly disturbing. In November 2011, Jenny checked into the Biltmore for four nights and immediately felt something was off. But she dismissed the feeling until the third night when, you guessed it, she woke to the bed shaking. And if that wasn't bad enough, floating above her in bed, there was a blue glowing orb roughly the size of a basketball. She was absolutely terrified and tried praying to get rid of the thing, but it held there for 15 minutes until it eventually faded away. I feel like the first thing a skeptic would say about the orb is that it was a hypnagogic hallucination or hypnagogic. I think it's hypnagogic. Yeah, but staying there for 15 minutes, I mean, those kinds of hallucinations usually last for a few seconds as you wake up, not like a quarter of an hour. Oh, no, I agree. I mean, in fact, I I know someone who periodically wakes up to find a red orb hovering Mm. in the corner of their room. Uh, she's a grown woman who's been experiencing stuff for years, and she's ruled, tried to rule out medical explanations the best she can. Yeah. What makes it even more interesting is that while I was doing research for the Skinwalker Ranch episodes, um, which will happen eventually, <laughs> I found a story about one of the on-site guards having night terrors, and supposedly they decided to use a camcorder to record him while he slept, and that allowed them to identify a red orb hanging in the corner of his room on the nights in question. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. there you go, then. I mean, there's something there, even if you can't see it or show it to other people. That's it. Yeah. And uh, speaking of orbs, the Biltmore isn't the only place in downtown LA where they've been seen. Uh, A few years ago, a woman and her husband were on their way home from a midday walk when she noticed a few hundred yards away a glowing purple orb floating in the street. Wow. No one else could see it, apparently, including her husband, so she kept walking. But after the street cleared traffic, she saw the ball was still there. So what did she do? She tried to point it out to her husband, but as soon as she did, it disappeared. Huh. Like, I wonder what the significance is is of that, where people see something and it stays until they go to point it out and then it's gone. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, full disclosure, when someone shows me a picture of orbs, I tend to kind of turn off because I, most of the time they're photographs of dust. You and me both, or insects. And I've heard this from a number of people who have had genuine spiritual encounters, the orbs thing. They're kind of like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But this- uh, but yeah, no, but I feel like because of this and the story, uh, I'm sorry, I be- feel like this and the story from the Biltmore, they can't be written off because they're not photographic artifacts. These are, you know, live happening. Yeah. I mean, these are people's experiences, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, something that occurred to me while I was telling the story about the Blue Orb was it sounds like the placement was very similar to the woman who appeared next to the bed. So I wonder if the appearance of the orb, is it... A, is it is it dependent on the person seeing it? Will they see an orb? Oh, Will they right. see a person depending on their own abilities and their own senses for this kind of thing? I mean, that could be. Right. I, I mean, when you combine it with instances we've heard about uh, from people seeing shadow people that may actually be spirits of the dead, I kind of start to wonder if there's a lot more subconscious interpretation involved in the things we see. Right. Like right down the line from orbs to UFOs to Sasquatch and shadow people. Moving on. Next yes. up, we have the stories that got us started on the subject in the first place. Those are, of course, the ones sent to us by Casey. From 2004 to 2005, Casey attended the Los Angeles Job Corps, which, for our international listeners, is an American government program to provide free education and vocational training to men and women between the ages of 16 and 24. 
At the time, the downtown LA branch of the Job Corps, which I'm going to call the JC to make my life easier, was located on South Broadway at the corner of 11th Street. It's not there now, I take it? Uh, no, they're over on Olive now. Uh, the building she's referring to is being redeveloped in a condos. What uh, isn't? Yeah. <laughs> uh, give what you had to say, though. I pity the poor buggers buying those things. Yeah, no, I, I'm not surprised. According to Casey, the building only had 13 finished floors when she was staying there. The stairs went higher up, and from the 13th floor landing, you could see some of the unfinished floors. But there was an alarmed gate blocking access. She says the first unusual thing happened in the dorms while her roommates were gone for the weekend. She was all alone, the only person with access to her room. But when she went to use the bathroom, she saw a strange shadow and couldn't find the source. Then, after leaving the room for a few hours, she returned to find a half-eaten bag of popcorn sitting on her desk. In the locked room to which only she had access. Yes. Oh, hell no. That's my thoughts, too. (laughs) I mean, you could point to possible explanations. Maybe one of her roommates gave someone a key. Right. But she seems pretty certain she was the only one with access, and that raises some questions. Uh, Yeah, but not as many questions as what comes next. Because what comes next has a second witness. Mm. Uh, A few weekends after the incident in the room, Casey was hanging out in the lobby of the JC, amen, (laughs) building with our friend, or with her friend rather, uh, Mary, when the pair noticed all three elevators being called up to the sixth floor. So the sixth floor was laundry in the dental clinic. So it wasn't impossible that all three had been needed by someone. Right, right. But they decided to check the security camera feed anyways. And that's when they saw it. Uh Uh-oh. The security camera showed what appeared to be a dark shadow with no apparent source standing in the elevator. Because she's a lot braver than you or I, Casey decided to see if someone was screwing around in the elevator or on the sixth floor. So she hit the call button, and the middle elevator was the first to arrive. Right. From the moment she stepped on the elevator, Casey said she felt herself surrounded by what she calls unwanted emotions. No matter where she went in the elevator, she couldn't get away from those feelings. Wow. She searched the entire sixth floor alone. (laughs) Hell no. Exactly. (laughs) And didn't find a single person, so she decided to head back down to Mary. And on the return journey, those unwelcome emotions came right back. Wow. When she arrived in the lobby, Mary looked distressed, and she told Casey that the dark shadow had not disappeared when she got on the elevator, but had actually covered her the entire trip up to the sixth floor. Oh, jeez. Yeah, when she tried to move, it moved with her, sometimes covering her up so much she was barely visible on the feet. It waited for her after she stepped off the elevator on six, and then covered her again all the way back down. I guess that explains the emotions. Yeah. And that wasn't quite everything. According to Casey, there used to be a pool on the seventh floor of the building. Now, by the time she got there, it was cracked and out of use, so the pool room had become a storage room. Right. But one weekend, when she was on the seventh floor with a group of girls, they saw from under the door a light come on. Oh, no. And then they heard the sound of children laughing, and they saw shadows dancing around the empty pool. Not cool. No. Oh, my God. Like, that's hardcore. That that's building. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's almost borderline, I wouldn't believe it. Yeah. But she, you know, everything else she said seems so legitimate. She seems so honest in her emails. I thought, well, no, we'll, we'll roll with it. Well, and I mean, she had other people with her. That too, yeah. Right, yeah. Now, as we discovered, Casey is far from the only person to have unusual experiences at a job course site. Hmm. Uh, the stories we're about to list here are mostly just fragments, but we found it interesting there was such a concentration around those locations that we had to pass it along. I'll, I'll go first. The Fred G. Acosta Job Corps Center in Tucson, Arizona is said to be haunted by the spirit of a girl who committed suicide on the second floor. Oh, wow. Well, one resident of the JC in Albuquerque, New Mexico, claims her books would go missing and turn up months later that sometimes they would see flashes of movement out of the corner of their eye and hear a disembodied voice whispering their name in their ear. They also claimed that one night their girlfriend, who was visiting them in their dorm room to watch a movie, (laughs) yeah, right, complained about the cold, and when they finally figured out the breeze was coming in the direction of the other bed in the room, they saw the mattress was sagging 
as though a full-grown person was laying on it. Boo, keep going, I'm almost there. Oh, God, of course. <laughs> um, another resident has said they could hear children playing out in the hall, but when they went to investigate, there were no children nearby. In fact, there was no one nearby at all. They were completely on their own. I mean, that Job Corps location used to be St. Anthony's Orphanage for Boys. Oh, never good. No. no. And there's some nonsense urban legend floating around about a nun who supposedly killed a bunch of kids there and tossed their bodies into a well. As you do. Yeah, yeah. But uh, local historian Cody Polston found absolutely zero evidence to back that up. Right. I mean, the hauntings sound legit, but the history sounds like Pavelia Syndrome, which, by which I mean it, it makes for a great story, but has no legitimacy. You've really taken to that, haven't you? Pavelia Syndrome? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's very useful <laughs> shorthand, so hats off to you for coming up with it. <laughs> I will say it wrong forever, but thank you. That's not all from Albuquerque. Uh, allegedly, some people have seen a shadow figure running through the halls of the dorm. A woman dressed in black carrying what appears to be a baby, a child dressed in a striped shirt and holding a ball who disappears before your eyes. There's a huge amount of activity reported at that particular site, but again, it's far from the only one. And when we say huge amount of activity, I mean, it's substantial. We, we could theoretically have done a whole episode just on that location. Wow. I There's tons of stuff that I just, we couldn't fit in because... It, there, we, like, we're already, pro- this is going to be a long episode. Yeah. And th- again, that, that could have been a, a half hour episode unto itself. Wow. That's so crazy. There's something going on there. Yeah. Uh, at the Leona, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this Wisconsin, so my apologies. <laughs> uh, at the Leona, Wisconsin location, doors are said to open and close by themselves. Items fall off beds, desks, and shelves like they've been pushed. Mm-hmm. And then there are actual visible entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, some residents have described seeing a young indigenous girl walking around before disappearing. And others have described seeing what appears to be the shadow of a large man standing in one particular room. Some residents of that dorm have also described dreaming about someone standing over them and waking up to sleep paralysis. So they dream about something being there, then when they wake up, they can't move? Yeah, exactly. Another set of experiences comes from Melissa, who was a resident of the Jobs Corps in... I think Puxico. Puxico, Missouri. One night, Melissa had just gone to sleep after watching a horror movie with her two friends when one of those friends saw a huge, dark mass creeping along the ground toward Melissa's bed. Thinking it was the third friend trying to prank both her and Melissa, the second friend called out to her to stop fooling around. Well, as it turns out, third friend was still in bed, and they both watched the dark mass scuttle underneath Melissa's bed. Jeez. Right? Hard pass. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Then another night, Melissa was woken up by the sound of mumbling. She was laying on her side, facing her friend's mirror, and when she focused her eyes, she saw yet another black mask curl up next to her in bed. Somehow, and God knows how, she willed herself back to sleep, and in the morning, it was gone. And that actually comes up again in a later story, which we'll get to after the break. Uh, Someone has a very strange experience, and they just say, nope, I'm going back to sleep. Well, you know what? I did that. The same here? Personally, yeah, I yeah. absolutely did that, so I I get it. If you had if you had told me that before, I'd been like, oh, that person's lying. But no, I get it, because if you actually get up and deal with it, that means it's real. Yeah, exactly. And you just don't even want to nope. go there. So I totally understand that. A guy who attended the job corps in Curlew, Washington from 1974 to 1976 claims he woke up to see a black figure standing in the hallway staring at him in bed. Mm. He says he could feel intense cold coming off this thing, which he describes as more demon than ghost for whatever that's worth. (laughs) He also says he and some friends snuck out one night in 1975 and were surrounded by light coming down from the sky. And when they ran, he saw another shadow figure standing out in the road by the cattle guard. Wow. 
Someone who attended the JC in Clearview, Utah from 2001 to 2001. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Four claims their lockers, which were secured with padlocks, would open and close in the night. So the padlocks just shot off? Well, they weren't clear about that. Um, um, but they also said you could hear a rubber ball bouncing in the hallway at night, but there was never anyone out there when they checked. And sometimes you would hear a little girl laughing. Jeez. Yeah, I know. After a month, they were moved to a different dorm, one with closets instead of lockers. And those closets would also open and close on their own all night. And it wasn't uncommon for this person to feel someone, like a presence sitting at the foot of the bed. They would hear the sound of marching in the halls, and in the day room, there would be intense hot and cold spots. And the television and lights would turn themselves on and off without any warning. Uh, Residents of the facility in Oneonta, New York, which again, I don't care if I'm mispronouncing, uh, in sort of a throwback to uh, episode 18, uh, the Oneonta facility is a former TB hospital. Okay. And people have reported seeing nurses in period garb and heard coughing and scratching in the halls. And also reported were unexplained cold spots, out-of-body experiences, and sightings of a little girl carrying a red ball and a little boy, both seen in the girl's dorm. Huh. Popular kids with carrying balls. I know, right? It's like, something to do in the afterlife. I suppose. These poor buggers died before they got to bring their iPhones with them. <laughs> That's, I'm looking forward to those series of hauntings. Yeah. A woman appeared holding an iPad. Then he was just playing Grand Theft Auto on his phone. <laughs> he didn't move. Nope. He just sat there. Yep. <laughs> really was kind of sad more than anything. Couldn't really tell it was a ghost. <laughs> Thought it was my son. There have also been Shadow Man reports from the Prestonsburg, Kentucky branch and a range of other experiences from job corpse sites in Grafton, Massachusetts, Astoria, Oregon, and Edinburgh. Indiana. Going back to LA, there were also reports from the Long Beach JC. In some of these cases, we're barely scratching the surface of the reports we found. Really, we could have done a whole episode on hauntings just in the job corps. Yeah, I mean, hauntings, I say we could have done one on just the place in Albuquerque yeah. and a whole other one just on the job corps. I had never heard of job corps. Neither before. had I. Is it is it a thing still? Or is it, it is. It, the pro, it's, it's, of course, I mean, they've- Defunded. Well, it's, yeah, it, it's under yeah. fire. Yeah. For several reasons, uh, some I mean, obviously it's it's considered uh, an entitlement, but uh, also there have been cases where it's been revealed in order to keep people in the program. Right, higher ups have hidden certain illegal activities. Oh, so for example, there have been a handful of murders right. on job corps sites by delinquents who right. then you know they want to keep the kids in the program. Right, and so they kind of. You know, well, it murders they can't hush up. There have been there have been violent assaults, there have yeah. been rapes, yeah. And yeah. Uh, this is this has been coming out the last couple of years. I, I found some news reports. Now, are people like mandated to go to like is this like a youth jail? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I, so, I, I think it's voluntary. Oh, it sounds rough. Yeah, it, I mean, it, I think it's a great opportunity if you, you know, if if you can't afford the education yourself. I mean, it sounds yeah. like Casey got a lot from it. Yeah. Uh, she said she had very, very positive experiences there. Yeah, which is good. It's great. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I, d- I mean, it doesn't sound like somewhere I'd want to hang out, but. No. No. I'm not a anyways. good joiner. No, I'm not a joiner. No, no, no. no. no never have been. Uh, the final story we have from one of the locations is from Hollywood, which is fitting since we have more Hollywood stories coming after the break. Nice. The Hollywood branch of the Job Corps was located in the former studio club, where some people claim to see Marilyn Monroe playing the piano. Now, Casey didn't see anything during her time there, but she did hear the piano playing. And as soon as she approached it, 
the music stopped. Wow. Yeah. Well, like Brennan said, after the break, we're going to be looking at stories of strange visitors in Hollywood. And real strange, not Tommy Wiseau strange. Who? Never mind. We'll be right back. This episode of The Ghost Story Guys has been brought to you in part by CoffeeCrew.com. Welcome back. Before the break, our conversation about haunted Los Angeles had uh, detoured into a look at hauntings reported in the U.S. Job Corps. So we're about to get back on track. We started in downtown L.A. and now we're moving west to Hollywood. Is it west? Northwest? North, northwest, yeah. Okay. If you go counterclockwise, it goes Echo Park, Silver Lake, Los Feliz, kind of, and then Hollywood. You know, I remember watching some late night show. I think it may have been Craig Ferguson. I miss him. Me too. He's I liked so Craig Ferguson. Uh, he said he felt sorry for people coming to Los Angeles for the LA experience because he said the city was basically a lie. Well, because it basically has no real center. It's just a bunch of small towns that kind of grew into each other, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, they don't always have much to do with one another, but they joined together to form LA like shitty Voltron. <laughs> so Hollywood is the head of the shitty Voltron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'd intended to start the section with a newspaper article from the July 1st, 1917 edition of LA Herald, but shortly before recording, we twigged onto the fact that the writer put spook in quotation marks because they were not referring to ghosts. Oh, God almighty. They called the house Spook Peak, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, I uh, know. It, it says uncomfortable silence here, but I don't think we needed the direction. <laughs> I really don't think we did. <laughs> Oh my God. Anyway, for our first story that's not about historical racism, we're going to go to the Hollywood Hills. In 2013, a man we're going to call Jerry went outside his Hollywood Hills home to let his his dog a teacup. It's Hollywood. It could have been a lot worse. Oh God, I hope I never find out how. Okay, so Jerry and teacup stepped outside. You know what? I'm just going to call it the dog because <laughs> every time I say its name, I die a little inside. So around 10 or 11 p.m., Jerry and his dog stepped outside so the dog could do its business. Jerry's backyard is huge with an enormous tree almost immediately behind the house. Its branches extending over top of the house. And at night, the whole area is mostly completely black. The light from the porch lamp only extends a few feet into the darkness. As soon as the pair stepped out into the night, Jerry started to suspect there was something wrong because his pup refused to step off the porch. 
wanted to get back inside so he could go to bed, Jerry gave the little dog a gentle shove off the final step so it could go do its thing in the yard. The dog, however, started whining intensely and looking up at the tree just a few feet away. Jerry craned his head upwards to see what the dog was looking at, expecting to maybe see an owl or something of that description. And what he saw, well, it wasn't an owl. No, it was not. At first, he couldn't see anything. As his eyes adjusted, he looked about five or six feet up, close to the trunk of the tree. Jerry began to feel a tingling sensation in his body and started to shake. There, looking at him from the tree, is what he describes as, quote, a gray alien with huge black almond-shaped eyes. At first, Jerry refuses to believe what he's seeing. He doesn't believe in aliens, he's never had anything supernatural happen to him, and keeps trying to convince himself it's pareidolia, that he's just making patterns out of the tree bark. But this thing has a small humanoid body, and worse, it blinks. And it just keeps staring. Jerry panicked, grabbed the dog, and he ran back inside. So what do you think? I, I know you're not a big UFO guy, and, and really neither am I. I mean, I've seen lights in the sky, and, among other things, but I always, well, not always, but I, I kind of think UFO encounters have more to do with fairy folklore than spacemen, if anything. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the last episode I said I don't care about UFOs, <laughs> and I don't. But the idea of these experiences having a paranormal dimension makes sense to me. I don't have a huge interest in UFOs because I think they are what they are. It makes sense we're not alone in the universe, but they just don't float my boat. I just There's just no, not a whole lot of interest there. In this case, my first thought, as it was for a few other people as well, was that Jerry saw an owl and freaked himself out. But he said what he saw was about five feet tall and definitely humanoid. Two arms, two legs. Uh, and he says that when he finally panicked and grabbed, <sighs> grabbed a teacup. Uh, the thing actually moved branches out of its way to get a better look at him. Oh. Yeah. And it definitely affected him. He said he immediately closed all the blinds and spent the rest of the night having a panic attack. So, I don't know. If it was the only story we found like that, I might dismiss it. But we have another, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, this one took place a little south of Jerry's near the Food Forless on Sunset. <laughs> I love that. It's so weirdly specific. I know. <laughs> That was, yeah, you know, his, he specifically mentioned the food for food less. Food for less. Yep. Nice. Not the Ralph's, which is like two blocks north. Uh, naturally. Food for less. Food for less. I like Ralph's, though. Please go on. Sorry. We'll call the witness Chris. Uh, Chris is a manager for a valet company, and in April of this year, his company was gearing up for a job that would require him and his employees to be present all night, so he decided to go home and get a nap in. Uh, when he stretched out on his sofa at 5.30, there was still light streaming through the window at the far end of the living room, and when a painful pinprick sensation in his right ear jolted him awake... The first thing he noticed was the silhouette blocking that light. So was someone standing in front of it? Yeah. Uh, and it was, was, again, what appeared to be a gray alien, kind of leaning over looking at him with its hands resting on its knees. Hmm. You'd think his first reaction would be fear, but instead he said he really found himself paying close attention to the thing's face and that it had a kind of zen-like calm about it. He looked around and saw another gray even closer. And just like we discussed earlier, yeah. instead of freaking out and running for the hills, he basically said to himself, I can't deal with this. I'm going back to sleep. And when he woke up, it was around 6.45 p.m., and he felt like he'd gotten exactly zero rest, but he still had to get up and get ready for work. As he did, he noticed a steady ache in the right side of his jaw. He says he felt like it had been chewing gum for hours. Wow. That's pretty fascinating. Uh, he claims to have found a painful spot inside his right ear using a Q-tip, uh, but I put it to you that if you go poking around in your ear, <laughs> something's going to hurt before too long. Yeah, good point. His account of the Gray's appearance is fairly detailed, too. Uh, like Jerry, he said they were around five feet with big black almond-shaped eyes, though their skin was more gray than beige. Do you think Jerry seeing the skin as beige could have been more a function of the light? Maybe. Would gray look beige in certain light? 
Or in faded light? Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I guess maybe depending on the kind of light. Yeah. Either way, Chris noticed something Jerry didn't, which was the texture of the skin. He said it looked human, slightly oily with pores. He mm. describes the whole body's looking like the scalp of someone who shaves their head. Wow. Yeah. That is really weird. I mean, we don't have time to get into it, but I wonder if there are other stories like that from this area. Hard to say. These are the only two I found, but there was another story from the Angeles Crest Highway in the Angeles National Forest. Of like a gray type thing? No, this was just a UFO encounter. But before I get to that, I, I just want to say this reminds me, have you seen the documentary The Nightmare about sleep paralysis? No. Okay, so it, it's not great. It's not really a documentary. It's basically just sort of a reenactment of some people's right. sleep paralysis encounters. But there is one story kind of similar to this in which a guy is lying and he's got to go to work later in the day or something. So right. he goes to sleep in the afternoon. He wakes up because his phone is ringing. And so he answers it. There's a guy on the phone who is speaking in a way he can't understand. Right. And so he says, he keeps saying to the guy, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't hear you. And finally he kind of moves into another room and he can finally hear this guy's voice. Right. And he says, this guy says, um, Hey, you know, I need you to do me a favor. And this guy says, the, the person answering the phone says, okay, well, I don't know who this is, but what's a favor? And the voice changes and it says, let me in. Yikes. But in a, I won't try and approximate the voice, no. but much worse than that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just, I don't know. It just, something about that, it kind of, something about that midday. Yeah. There's something about, I've never really liked between 4 and 6 p.m. I know it sounds dumb. No, um, there's a circadian rhythm thing there. We are apparently at our weakest um, and are we're most likely to go to sleep, drop off between 4 and 6 p.m. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, fascinating. Usually if, when I'm off work at 4, between 4 and 5, if I could lie down, I would. Really? And then when that's over with, I'm fine. I'm good. See, I used to, I find, I remember in Revelstoke, you know, that time of day, especially in the winter, the sky would be a very particular color. Right. And I would just never like being out. And even here, I've kind of gotten over to a certain degree, but when I first moved here, I would not, tr I would try my best not to have to be anywhere between four and six. Oh, wow. I would, if I was at work, I would try and stay longer. If I yeah. was at home, I would try and stay, you know, stay there. Interesting. But uh, anyways. Yeah. It also kind of reminds me, uh, just this sort of quickly, of a friend- of a story my friend told me where he lost someone very close to him right. and he had a dream where he picked up the phone and tried to call this person and they picked up, but he couldn't understand what they were saying. Mm. They sounded like they were waking up from a, like a really deep sleep. Right. And it really stressed him out because it was scary because he, he recognized the voice and then, but you know, he couldn't get through to this person. Wow. And then, I don't know, months later he had a dream where finally he saw this person and hugged him and it kind of went away. And I kind of wonder if subconsciously when he was sleeping, I mean, if we're going to, if, if we, if we assume the dream is paranormal in nature, right. if that was him actually reaching out, but because his friend was so recently departed, he was still getting used to, cause he, his friend died suddenly. Right. Uh, he was still getting used to the new conditions he found himself in. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, that makes sense. And cause I remember when my grandmother died, uh, she passed again very suddenly when I was uh, 14 or something. And I would have these dreams where I was downstairs in the basement. I would hear her voice upstairs and I would always run upstairs, but she would always be gone by the time I got there. Right. Then finally one day, I don't know, a few months later, maybe six months later, I had the same dream. But when I got up there, she was there. Right. And I got to give her a hug and say goodbye. And I never dreamed, every now and again, I'll dream about her kind of in passing. Yeah. She'll be in yeah. a scene and she'll wave. Yeah. But I've never dreamed about interacting with her again. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I, I just. Um, maybe it's just when the spirit is ready to go, it needs to. Yeah, there though, and it and then you get a chance later to, once they've done what they need to do yeah. to say your goodbyes, and then that's it. Yeah, well, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Anyways.
Uh, back to the stories from the Angeles Crest Highway right. uh, in the Angeles National Forest. Um, it was a UFO encounter. Okay. According to the witnesses, they followed a UFO down the highway until it disappeared in a flash of light that lit the whole valley. And just after that, they found a stranded driver who had crashed his car high up in the mountains. So, like, they think the UFO led them to the driver? I I think that's the idea, yeah. They, they didn't mention that to the driver when they gave him a ride back <laughs> to the city, which seems wise. Yeah. Uh, but they thought it had led them there. Uh, who knows why, of course. Yeah, hopefully not to turn them into human sausages or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see you've got the positive, the, a positive spin on things. I do. Um, it's actually worth noting, though, uh, on the subject of unpleasant things, since yeah. we're going to mention that. The Angeles National Forest, I believe, has come up in David Pilate's Missing 411 series. Oh. That is a place where people regularly disappear. Yeah, I can see it. So. Yeah. Interesting. If you or anyone you know has had experiences like this in the greater Los Angeles area, we would love to hear about them. So please let us know at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Or in New York. I mean, New York stories too. Yeah, I'd love to hear New York stories. Uh, and as for LA, we're going to have to leave it there. But at some point in the future, there will be a part two because there's a ton of information out there. That's awesome. And thank you again to Casey for providing us with a lot of information yourself, uh, some of which will find its way into later installments of The Haunting of Los Angeles. <laughs> and thank you to everyone who wrote in. We don't have time for listener mail on um, this episode, but we will make up for it next time. In fact, next week is kind of another listener mail episode, isn't it? Um, in a way, yeah. Uh, when we put out the call for stories, we received a lot of great ones, but there was one from Lisa that dealt with such a heavy subject, we felt it deserved to be told in its own space. Yeah. Uh, you know how sitcoms in the 80s used to do very special episodes to talk about <laughs> you know, sensitive topics? Yep. Next episode will be a very special ghost story, guys. <laughs> we'll be touching on things that are not at all funny, so parts of that show will reflect that, but we're still going to be, you know, well us. As horrifying a prospect as that can sometimes be. You mean me, don't you? I do, 100%, buddy. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Anyways, apart from baking me some goddamn dairy-free muffins, <laughs> uh, do you have anything coming up? Don't hold your breath. <laughs> um, no. Actually, nice. Well, that's don't. Hey, considering how am, your October went. That's I not bad. I am so grateful to have nothing on the horizon <laughs> but baking. And how about you? Got anything going on other than your radio show and still can't find my <laughs> nope absolutely nothing <laughs> apart from that I'm I'm getting ready to go to this wedding here on the 23rd right. so I'm kind of basically just working like crazy to get everything done in advance you know so I mean the next episode will actually be uploaded while I'm there oh cool and you know I've got I think two radio shows that will have to be uploaded while I'm away oh my gosh so it's kind of just yeah. getting everything ready yeah. and so I've gone from having nothing to do right. to having nothing but shit to do <laughs> that must be new for you uh yeah it is I like this trading role thing <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I guess so I thought about it like that so it's your fault. But no, so anything to promote your radio show? Uh, yeah, of course. Largely the Truth, now airing every Wednesday at 8 p.m. on 92.5 Stoke FM and <laughs> via the web at stokefm.com or via tunein.com. I'm not supposed to advertise the TuneIn one because Stoke FM wants a web traffic. Right. But sometimes their website chokes on the stream. <laughs> Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else. And please share the show on Twitter and Facebook. It all helps. It sure does. Oh, you know what? I completely forgot the thing I was going to talk about. What? The leftover thing from Halloween. Rachel from Battle Creek. Right. Yeah, so I'm going to tell that story now uh, before we go. Yeah. So uh, if you've listened to our last episode, and if you haven't, shame on you. But uh, also thank you for listening. <laughs> Uh, we had a letter from Rachel from Battle Creek where she was describing some experiences she'd had. And while I was discussing her letters on air, I mentioned a strange experience I'd had. I, I'd looked up the place where she lived on the map while researching her stories just to get a try and sense it, try and get a sense of it. And I, so I had assumed that her son was going to Ann Arbor because they live in, in Michigan. Right. And as it turns out, he's not. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
so that I know. Well, there you go. But I got these really strong mental flashes, like so strong that the emotions I got were so strong and so foreign to me. Uh, Ian sometimes talks about being psychically sensitive and, and having the sense of like pictures shoved in the back yeah. of your head. Yeah. It was just like that. Just these incredible, this so strong feeling of knowing something. And I saw, I saw a car driving on a winter road at night with bare trees on either side, snow. And I saw a place that's wood with gold or brass and warm lighting. And I remember feeling comfortable and happy and relaxed and kind of free to do whatever I wanted. Right. And I got a sense the place was upstairs and I also felt like I saw, the last thing I saw was like a, a, a blue rectangle with writing in it, which I thought was a plaque of some kind. Right. So I mentioned this on air and, and Rachel wrote back and said, well, the wood paneling could describe her old apartment back when she was in university. Because right. she said the road I described kind of sounds like, you know, the, the road she had, had dealt with when she was going to school herself. But I mean, you know, a snowy bear treed road in the winter, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just Michigan. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of felt like whatever I was feeling had more to do with her son. Right. So, and of course you think wood and brass, well, it sounds like a bar. So I, I thought, well, I'm going to ask, you know, and I, I thought, well, I'm being crazy, but I'm going to ask. So I asked her if her son has a favorite bar or something. Right. Well, it turns out he does. Huh. Uh, that bar is the beer exchange in Kalamazoo. Right. So I looked it up and of course, wood and brass, but it's a bar. Yeah. It's got warm lighting, but it's a bar. However, it's two stories. Oh. The main bar is upstairs. Really? And the, called the beer exchange, the menu is designed to look like a stock ticker with oh. the beer, some of the beer title or beer names in blue rectangles. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty specific. It's, it felt specific yeah. to me. I mean, I, yeah, I told her I didn't, cool. I didn't want to overestimate. I didn't want to no, be no, the no, guy no. who tries to make things up to sound more interesting than they yeah. are, but. The, the building had electricity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> People were wearing sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> Ground assist, don't worry about the money. <laughs> there were chairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but no, it, it just felt very specific. So I I guess, I don't know. It's, cool. It's, I, don't, I don't really have an opinion. It just, yeah. it's a thing that happened. That even, I actually got a hold of you once yeah, I found yeah, this yeah. out because yeah. it really threw me. Yeah. And I still don't quite know how to feel about it. I it, guess it's You just, know what? I, I, the thing is, I mean, the first time it happened to me, I was like, what? But then um, even now when it happens- I'm still going, what? Because right. you, you almost don't want to believe it. But when you, I mean, I've had a couple experiences that are in my book. Um, that, oh, uh, you wrote a book? <laughs> yes, I did. I'll have to read that yeah, sometime. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, that, no, but you have a couple experiences where you get to, in that moment, get confirmation. Right. And that's amazing. Because then you're like, okay, I'm not crazy. But really, you have no idea what you're seeing or what it's about until you get that sort of confirmation. Yeah, that's it. No, it was it was just an incredible experience. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so thanks to Rachel from yeah. Battle Creek. Thank you, Rachel. And, uh, oh, uh, going briefly, just getting back to Minneapolis. If any of our listeners live in the Minneapolis area, you have any recommendations for food or haunted spots to check out, <laughs> let me know. In that order. In that order. <laughs> Well, it turns out the place we're staying is about 40 minutes out of the city. Gross. So, yeah, exactly. So getting there and back is, you know, going into the city, going exploring is not going to be easy. No. So food is preferable. Yeah. Maybe you can just skip the ceremony. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah I, I usually just go for the food anyway. I, I'm probably not going to be able to eat most of it. Since oh, it, right. She's from, like, it's Minnesota, and I think her family's from Wisconsin or something. Ooh, so everything's going to be soaked Every- in cheese. <laughs> the three saddest words in the English language are no cheese, thanks. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I was in Subway on the way here, and- 
Yep. They're like, what kind of cheese? Because everyone eats cheese, you freak. Yeah, just spit in my eyes. <laughs> curse my children to blindness. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Uh, so anyways, um, if you have any recommendations, shoot us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com or via the Facebook. Cool. And uh, we actually had a couple messages from Melanie, but of course we're going to do reader mail next time. Yes, so, we will. Sorry, got distracted. Yeah, no worries. Uh, thanks to Pizzanti Music for our theme song and bumpers. He also wrote the killer theme song for my radio show, which I'm going to play at the end of the show instead of our usual usual excuse me instead of our usual outro music. Well, you do edit this, so you can pretty much do whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks with episode 22. Until next time, back into the darkness we go. starter website which is my life now um <laughs> i love that this is the new f- i mean <laughs> as far as life focus goes it's not bad and i'm celibate forever <laughs> finding out the people you like are shitty yeah is hard yeah oh good more slurping noises but i can still hear it it's just better do you do you buy drinking implements on the basis of how much noise they make when you use them very classy oh, okay. thank you for that Senator Edward Buckles died a few nope. days. C, comma, Edward oh. Buckles. Oh. Oh, my God. You can't say that. <laughs> but I can edit it out. <laughs> if mermen all looked like me, it would make sense that sailors confused them for manatees. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the Biltmore. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. Only minutes later, according to her bedside table. Right. <laughs> No, it's it's just, a, I just hear bedside table being like, it's 2.38. But I, I don't I know. have never heard that word before. No, you have. I'm You're spinning some wisdom here. You're a wordsmith, Thank Mr. You. Store. Um, <clears throat> oh, my foot. Okay, there we go. Better now. Could you be more gassy? Uh, I'm sure I could. Yeah, probably. None of which I notice have any... Derivation. Oh, that's a hard word to say. <laughs> Is it? you and your $20 <laughs> words. I'm like pretty good at words and I, no. 